Uh, Russell and Churchill, John Fletcher, Glenn Delaney, pleased to meet you. Hello. Um, stone, scissors, paper to start with. Scissors is worth two. Mm-hmm. First to five. Loser does a naked lap of the hotel. Okay? Well, oh, okay. Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, okay. shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Two nil to you. Good start. It's quite a long way around. It is. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Three now. Three nil. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh. Three, two. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Three all. Oh. I knew it was going to be three all. Are you ready? Mm. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, four, three, four, three. Go on, Glenn. Go Rock, on, Glenn. paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh. I won. You won. Naked <laughs> laugh. See you, Glenn. Off you go. Been, it's been good. It's been a good podcast. <laughs> I'm not very fast anymore. I was probably never very fast. Uh, now, cool, mate. Look, we, we, thanks for coming and hanging with us. Um, we just had a bit of a chat. Um, obviously, oh, do you want to give a bit of a background talk to how, how we ended up at this table today? Yeah, um, you keep ringing me, but yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's a good part of it. Um, oh, look, you know, we've known each other for a long time and been on the circuit and um, always interested to have conversations with interesting people. So I guess it kind of came out of uh, a yarn we had on the phone. I, I got back over from New Zealand a month and a half or so ago and we just had a had a chinwag for an hour, so kind of come from that. But, um, oh, look, it's nice to talk to people who are interested in the game, who've got great experiences and, um, and, and, and do some, some different stuff. Yeah, so you've just been coaching Super Rugby, so you obviously coached over here, coached a lot in the Championship, a lot in the Premiership, and then over in a bit of Mighty 10 and then a bit of Super Rugby. Um, I mean, what's been the stuff that you've enjoyed? Where's been your favourite? What's been your best experiences? Um, oh, look, I've, had, I've been wonderfully blessed in that um, if I go back to the start, I did eight years at Nottingham in the Championship and um, made a ton of mistakes. Um, you don't realise how poor you are until it's after the fact. But I had some wonderful people there that, that kind of helped guide and shape and um, give me an opportunity to, to do something. And um, I had a wonderful group of players that went on and achieved some really good stuff. So um, the foundations for me were kind of set from that perspective. And then, you know, I had a great opportunity to coach at another club, London Irish. So the first two clubs I coached at, I played for both of them. Um, and I ended up spending 15 years at those two clubs. So... Um, London Irish again a wonderful experience and uh, and then down to Canterbury to do a bucket list job which was a bit strange how it came about but it did and um, it was a fantastic experience and then from there into super so um, oh, I've just been really lucky and really fortunate So tell me about some of the mistakes or some of the people that have shaped you so what have been some of the big learning moments over the years um, I learned a lot about how to deal with people and the first thing that you've got to learn to deal with is um, people's strengths, their weaknesses, their vulnerability and my way's not always the right way and sometimes you know that sort of anecdotal coaching of I'm going to make you do something you're a bit more coach-centred rather than letting them learn and, and find out so we had some lessons on that early on where um, one one brutal session that I ran and the boys who were there have recounted it there was a, a lad named Rohan Numalandran who was our footwork yeah, yeah. brilliant row wonderful footwork everyone kept saying he was a bit small to play but I thought he was fantastic and we played a game where we dropped a couple of high balls and I uh, thought well, well we'll fix this in training so um, we set him up and uh, put a few high balls up and pretty much had the entire forward pack running down his throat <laughs> and he kept dropping them and, uh, <laughs> and it just didn't solve the problem and I think it probably made the problem even worse um, I thought at the time it was it was going to help, 
but it became very apparent that it didn't. <laughs> yeah. I hear lots of similar stories about guys who can't tackle defending in five metre challenges against all the biggest players. Yeah, just put them in there. No, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so things like that, you know, they stand out in my mind. I think probably those, the 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 things I were errors of judgment or, or things I didn't do well are probably the things that I stand out more because you want to learn from them. And I had this wonderful chat with um, a great mentor of mine, a guy named Mike Cron, who, um, who's a, an ex-copper. So he worked in the police force with my dad. I've known um, Crono since I was a kid. Um, and, uh, you know, first connection actually with Crono was um, we got firebombed as a family in Tamuka in 1979, and he was the investigating detective. It's big news actually in New Zealand. It's a good connection. Yeah, so... Uh, so Struggling. We go back a long way, but the police families are very, very tight. Um, and Crono, I, I saw him before the all test in Dublin a couple of years ago, the one after the, the Chicago game. So it was the, the sort of the, the, the second part of the equation. There's a bit of stress off. And he said, oh, you're going back to Canterbury, it's great. I said, yeah, yeah, can't wait. He goes, oh, how are you feeling? I said, nervous as hell. I said, I don't know if I'm going to be up to this. He goes, oh, he said, that's good, son. I said, what do you mean? He says, a bit of self-doubt and, uh, and stuff. He said, that'll go along. He said, it'll, it'll make you feel, you know, you're doing a good job, but you go into it with a bit of that, you, you'll do fine. I said, you know, there's one thing. I said, I, I think I know less now than, than I knew back when I started. <laughs> and he goes, well, well, you're right. I said, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, no, you're right. He says, the reason that you think you know less now is because you know more. And he says, you didn't know what you didn't know back then. And he said, uh, that's a good, good place to be. And you know that sort of thing stuck with me a bit. And that I think as you go through coaching, you always doubt what you used to do because you're learning more. And I think the thing is, you want to keep getting better and learning. And all the experiences I've been very fortunate to have are just part of the journey. Really. I see it like when you take the wallpaper off, and then the rest of the wall comes crumbling down yeah, behind yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sometimes jealous of coaches that have absolute certainty around their version of events because they never experience that vulnerability, that doubt, that because they're absolutely convinced that it's this is the only way to do it so uh, I'm a little bit jealous of those coaches sometimes uh, Micron interesting I mean uh, Tom Harrison who's obviously in Leicester Tom I said to Tom the other week I said oh what have you done this week he said oh I've done this and then I had a Skype with Micron and I said how did you get a Skype with Micron he said oh I just found his email he emailed him yeah I mean so one of the you know so I mean maybe that's something I'm curious about I mean what's it like in in, in Switzerland, as we call New Zealand, because um, we don't like to use the, the, the words <laughs> New Zealand. So in Switzerland, what's, uh, it'll be Switzerland for the rest of the podcast. Well, the skiing's very good. Uh, the skiing's excellent. Really nice the chocolates. The coffee's very good. The coffee's great. Um, I mean, what's it like in terms of sharing? So what, your experience over there, there the last... Yeah, what, what's that been like? Um, it, it is a really open place to share ideas. And I think when, when you start with a player base that are inquisitive and want to take responsibility for their own game and growing their own skills... So you get a challenge from the player base first, so that forces you to keep being better. And I guess the one thing that, that I've learned is that it's okay to say, I don't know. And actually, that's quite a powerful thing as a coach. When the player comes and goes, what do you think is? I go, well, I don't know, what do you think? Because <laughs> often they've got a lot of the answers, but actually you work through the process. You come back to your, to, to your rationale for being a coach. It's about working through a learning process. So they want an answer, but I can't give you an absolute because there might be a couple of variations based on what you do. So let's just play with it work through it. So that, I think, comes from both sides. So the players are inquisitive. They're trying to learn. They're driving you to be a better coach. And, and actually, at the end of the day, they're, they're the ones playing the game. We sit in row 42 behind the laptop, and it's a great view, and you get the best ticket to the show, and hopefully it all happens. Um, but it's the work you've done before all that. It, it sets you up for that. But in terms of other coaches, you know, the All Black coaches have always been really open. Um, I've been really fortunate that... I've been allowed in there as, as, going back years, even to the point where we had Ali Williams came to play for Nottingham in 2012 before the World Cup, sorry, 2011, before the World Cup that year to get fit. So <coughs> my relationship with them has been one of absolute sort of openness. They've let me 
understand how their environment works, learn about how they go about things, and actually they've been great guides. And Wayne Smith coached me as a, as a kid, so one of the, one of the professors <coughs> of rugby. That, and you said he was in your dream coaching team. Who else was in it? Uh, well, yeah, you put me on the spot there. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there, and uh, I think there's, there's ones that you've learned with and from and some that have gone before you that set the tone and, and, and probably one I go back there was, there was a guy named Fred Allen who um, who coached the All Blacks through a distinguished past he was known as Fred the Needle and you might think that that was a fairly sort of like needle people but no he was a, he was a, a seamstress he made dresses so Fred the Needle um, wow. uh, and Fred the Needle so there you go um, but Fred Allen um, I remember he uh, he coached a, an old a guy who um, we passed away Fugan McCormick was a family friend and, and looked after me a lot from a young fellow as a as a player coach all that sort of advice and Fug was playing in the, in the back line and Fred actually coached in my club Linwood before and went on and did some great things and he had two moves through the hands to the left with the full back in and the other move was through through the hands to the right with the full back in and it was revolutionary <laughs> so, changing the world changing the world so when you think about that sort of mindset at a time when passing and that sort of stuff was not part of it. I think Fred Allen, he'd have to be in there for me. Change, yeah. um, how, would the, how would the connection around coaches and sharing, how would that compare to England? What was your experiences there? Um, it's based on personality more than anything. I think there's not a philosophy not to share. I think uh, some people are more open to it than others, and there's plenty of really open coaches in the UK, like some wonderful thinkers of the game um, who see the game in a really different contextual way. And I think it's, it's down to... It's, you can't typecast that there's no sharing because I sit here with you guys and you guys yeah. have always shared every time we've spoken it's been ideas, thoughts yeah. so, so it exists and I think we've got to be careful to say we don't share in England and they do share in New Zealand or we do share in New Zealand I, I think it's down to relationships and if people feel you know, comfortable that there's trust um, that they're not going to be castigated for putting their version of events out then I think it's really healthy and you know, I've been influenced by some academics a guy named Peter Singo talks about the learning organisation and part of that is, is, is mental models and being able to put your version of events up to account and holding it up there and being proud enough to say hey, this is what I think because it might not be what you think or you might see it and go oh I think that's great but actually what about looking at it from this direction that's growth that's health and I think that there are plenty of guys in, in the UK doing well and if I go back to my level 4 cohort um, we went to Loughborough and guys like Mark Mapletoft who's a real free thinker Rob Baxter a free thinker um, Tony Diprose a real free thinker Ben Sturman was on the course, who thought, Stur- yeah, you know, there's brilliant guys on that, on that <coughs> course, and, um, uh, you know, we had some of the best time we had, we're going through the course, but some of the best time was um, the Tuesday night sessions on the RFU credit card, and it was social learning, and that's where the ideas were, you know, that's the magic, so there are plenty of people here um, who are willing to share and open up. Now, the challenge is, when you're in this sort of model, which has got relegation in it, that can force a little bit of a conservative approach and perhaps some people become victim of their environment. So that might be why there's, there might be a perception. But for me, I think it's down to the individual. I've and, been really fortunate. And what are your views on relegation? Well, I have to say it's, it's sacrosanct in, in the English game and I've, I've seen it from both sides in that from a championship perspective, that aspirational target had to always be there. I, I see that there's got to be sustainability attached and looking at rugby as a business... You know, I looked at it from my days in Nottingham going, we want to be in the Premiership, but we were, we were aspirationally dreaming. We weren't ready for it. The infrastructure required to support a Premiership club is astronomical. And if you go up, and we saw it with London Wales going up and down and, and, and at that point in time treated it poorly and 
had a poor outcome and the whole game was tarnished for it, I think that's not right. If you are ready and prepared to get promoted and you've got an infrastructure in place and there have been clubs that have done it, then you should have the opportunity to, to, to do that. If you're a club that's effectively a part-time club that have a great run and you're not really ready for it, I think you've, you've got to be sensible about it. Yeah, so you, can I, you spoke a bit about like the context, so <clears throat> what have you, I mean, what have you learned as a coach? It's two different, it's clearly two different contexts in New Zealand to England. What have you learned from both of them? What are the, what are the benefits of both? And I think you said earlier they're different. They're not, what, one's not wrong or right. No. What, what's, what's the stuff that you've experienced? Oh, 100% because, you know, the people are interested in, in what I think is, and almost that question, why is the rugby better there? I don't think it is. I think it's different. And it's played in a different way. And the context of the competition buys into that. The context of the, um, the premiership here is standalone. People love to see a scrum penalty, and it is a thing of beauty. <laughs> and it, is, it will set the tone for a game. That doesn't really exist, and even a team that might concede three scrum penalties in, in Super Rugby, it doesn't really affect the game, it doesn't affect the, the mindset or anything, it's, it's just part of it, and oh, well, we'll deal with that. But I think what you've got to understand is people have a, an understanding of a competition, and we're kind of like putting, we're kind of selling tickets to a show. We, we sell tickets to a show that's in a stadium, and maybe like the Rome's a bit gladiatorial, people come and watch the show, and they want to see what they want to see, and people have an idea of what they want what they want to, to happen. We can't change the weather in the UK, which forces teams to have a little bit more perhaps of reliance on physicality to win the game on. If, as we've seen in the last couple of months, we've seen more tries in the Premiership than, than I can remember. Yeah. And the weather's been outstanding. And teams have been trying to play. And that's contextual. They're playing to the circumstance. So I think we've seen some great rugby, lots of tries, lots of excitement. And part of it's determined by where we play. So if I turn my hat to, to Super Rugby, you know, the Highlanders, we, we have a roof on stadium, which is um, quite unique. So we're playing on a dry deck every day of the week. So our ball and play time is really high at home. So we can play a high-octane, all-singing, all-dancing, passing, skill-set-based game because our environment allows us the best opportunity to execute. And your player, I mean, what's it different about? Would there be differences in your players that allow that? Yeah, I think the, the way that you grow up in a game's contextual is... is Kids are growing up in New Zealand with ball, a ball in their hands. Football is making is quite popular in New Zealand. Don't get me wrong, but the vast majority of kids grow up playing either cricket, basketball, um, volleyball, netball, um, anything with hands. So the hand-eye stuff is, is a bit more developed from a younger age. And you know, even going back to you know, this is in 2000 where we had the Northern Hemisphere v Southern Hemisphere game of football at London Irish. Well, one team could play football and the other team was from the Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> and that's a difference. So, <laughs> you know, off the shin was was a result as far as we were concerned. We simply couldn't play the game. Yet the boys who have grown up here, they could all play football. So you can see how um, how how things are driven. And I've got two sons that play rugby, but they can play football. I've got no idea. And that's, that's just the context. So, so the ability of, I mean, we're talking a bit, and we might get on a bit of the tactical stuff, but actually as as attacks become more spread out, so there'll be lots of different systems that add up to eight. Yep. So one through three, one, two, four, two, four, four, one, five, one, one, eight, zero, zero, eight. One, 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 <laughs> yeah. one, one, one. Um, the importance of the skill set for guys with low numbers is, is yeah. important. So, yeah. you, I mean, what have you noticed different... They work on it really hard um, because it's an important part of our game. Our ability for our low numbers to stay square, be a, be a threat to the defence and actually execute, um, be that a, a little tip pass or a pass out, a hook pass out the back um, or carry, but all those options are offload post-contact with a bit of footwork. 
that's that's really critical to those sorts of spread attacks working. Because um, effectively, all you're doing with any form of spread attack is you're saying, where do we put our forwards? Right, well, we've got to find out what they can and can't do. And our low numbers, the props, hookers, locks, are, are generally pretty good at those sorts of passes, which means they can play a front line and have the ability to release the second line of attack. If you don't have that, then, of course, you get a little bit more carry than, than, than hands. Um, so, yeah, so there's a big reliance on those guys working on those skills, and they work on them the whole time. And in England, did you ever have to put a stop clock on uh, the, the uh, low numbers, practising some extra passing skills? Well, we, we were always... always so you were mauling, weren't they? We were mauling a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of low numbers there. <laughs> and, um, you know, look, the old adage was if, if you can't see and you can't breathe, you're probably in the right place. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a scrum and a mauling, that's for sure, because there can be very effective ways of... Um, and you know, I went through that with the Nottingham uh, experience where we had a, an inside centre named Tim Molina who was a, a beast of a human and a threat played for Gloucester, did some great things tens that could control a game and James Arles, Tim Taylor, those sorts of characters um, and a Ford pack that would just beat you up and they took pride in that and it was a point of like an honour badge was you're going to play this Ford pack this is what we do, this is our expectation so that was their context and they were excited about playing that way well, once you had the ball in the mall, I mean, try the year one year was a 45 metre driven mall against Dunham. Yeah. It's a good way to go forward. It was beautiful. It took three and a half minutes. Luke, Luke Sheriff scored it because he was always at the back. Cause he yeah, was, he, wasn't, he was never pushing too hard. No, he scored 17 tries that year, I think. Um, did well. Yeah. What, so, what is, uh, I mean, again, this, I mean, maybe they're myths and maybe they're not. What, talk me through player development. Uh, you, I mean, you got some experiences on the young fellas coming through in, in, the, in the UK and young fellas coming through in New Zealand. What's, what's your thoughts? Well, the, um, the school program in New Zealand, like the first 15 competition is televised, so it's a big, it's a big deal. Um, so the, the growth of New Zealand rugby coming through that, that school system with really good coaching, um, skills get led, the, the, the teachers uh, that are coaches are, are coaches, and they understand that skill refinement. So most of the players are coming through from the age 13 and that, that sort of high school up to 18 under pretty good core skill programs where they're developing. Um, from there you get into the national program so you've got the 18s or the second schools the 18s the, the, um, the 20s that program exists um, but mostly players once they've hit that first 15 there's a lot of challenge at the moment you know rugby league in Australia have scouts and that they're trying to get players across there and there's a lot of that goes on so the game's fighting to make sure that the talent's retained um, but they, they develop through and then from there there's academies and a few places, so Canterbury had a, have an academy, um, Crusaders in the same place in, in Rugby Park, so players are coming from all over the country to get in there on a three-year program where they'll go through a, a degree program at the University of Canterbury or Lincoln University, get qualified. So is that compulsory, the, the fact that they have to do something in, a, in, yeah, in addition of, to that? it's part of their program is, is, is the education, and there might be some that don't want to, so they, they can look at the art of the, um, the, the, the polytechnics or whatever they want to do, but, um, but ultimately most of the kids coming in are going to well, Lincoln University got probably the strongest club I've seen. Um, it was near enough a Canterbury team at one stage, and uh, they do quite well. But the university is in a position where they can give guys that opportunity to get educated. And I think that's really important that they've got other skills. So doing a three-year degree, at the same time, you've got your academy skills program, and they'll play in the National Under-19 program first year, and then they tend to be worked through into a representative contraction situation that then leads on to a super situation. And what's the what would, what's the philosophy you've noticed around? I mean, what would you think would be important in development program? Because clearly, when they get into into the Highlanders first team, they're going to be possibly playing in a certain way. Um, 
What are you noticing about the best players that are coming through? What's their environments been like? Well, they, position-specific skills is a, is a wonderful phrase, and it, and it sort of works. If you want to play in a position, you've got to understand what's relevant to do that. So a lot of time and effort goes on that. And within that, there'll be, you know, you can catch pass of the fundamentals. Um, there's some physical fundamentals, if, you know, the skill sets of pushing correctly, being biomechanically correct in your training. All that sort of detailed skill acquisition is layered in from a really young age. And that's the foundation, because you can't play at super rugby level or at premiership level or European level without the core fundamentals of your role. They're your tools. So as long as you keep working on your tools, then they'll stand you in good stead. So, you know, I think that the academy structures here are developing that. And certainly the one I've had experience of, London Irish, did that. And if we looked at some of the players that came through that, going back to, you know, Anthony Watson, Jonathan Joseph, um, Matt Garvey, Jamie Gibson... Um, they're pretty good players. Uh, Joe Cock and the singer come through. Uh, they're pretty good Theo, players. Theo, Johnny. Theo, Johnny. Yeah, you know, they've got good core skills. So they've been coached really well at a young age, which means they can then translate that up. How is their tactical? Uh, we mentioned it briefly before. How would you, well, again, what's the differences? How, how is it coached in terms of the tactical awareness of the, of the, uh, of the players as they come through the system? Um, it, 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 pretty good you know tactically they grow and the only way you can grow tactics is to be put in a situation to learn how to tactically manage a game and they just get better with time but they have to play players have to play and that's the one thing I, I and, and the dual registration system which you know Stu Lancaster was the driver of that back in the day Carl Douglas before him on the, the rugby performance group in the UK it was about making sure that these guys weren't log jammed in academies going and doing two gym sessions a week and nothing else they had to play so if I go back to um, the development side, you know, one of the most enjoyable times I had was Nottingham with a lot of, lot of dual registered players, Leicester particularly, so um, Tom Youngs came and learned how to play hooker. Yeah, yeah. And that went pretty well. And well, what a great guy. But the reason it worked is because Tom was committed to it and he worked his socks off. I think the first year he, he got Players Player of the Year and hit 50% of his line-outs. <laughs> <laughs> once, once, once he didn't even use the line-out, it went straight from him to the halfback. <laughs> um, but, what, but just the boys loved him and respected that he was learning something new and he was committed to it. And then like, a couple of years later, he started to the lines. So I was fortunate to see, and Mark Mapletop was the England 20s coach at the time, I was just literally trying to get the England under-21s as they were then to play on Drill Reg. So I had you know, guys like Andy Forsyth and Tom Casson um, they would come and play. Um, Dan Cole come and did a bit. Uh, I just wanted them to play, and I I thought that's the best experience. So, as a club Nottingham, we kind of relied on that a bit. We had a core of Nottingham guys who were hard, battle hardened, you know, edgy guys that, that didn't take any nonsense. And when these young whippersnappers came in, it was leave whatever kit you're bringing. It stays at the front gate. You're putting our stuff on, and these are the standards that we expect. And um, one, one funny one was, was Dan Cole came back the second year for a game, needed a run, but bought his team shirt from the year previously and hung it up on his coat peg and said, well, no, I've got my shirt, I'm good to go. <laughs> because they understood the culture and the values. Yeah. And it was important for them to get the most out of it. They had to really commit. And I found the guys that I, I had that came through that way really did commit and, uh, and got huge benefit. So I've seen development work really well in the UK. I've seen development work really well in New Zealand. And... You know, if I look at um, a fellow named Tom Christie, who's, who's come through, he's playing for Canterbury and Modestine Cup this year. He's on 20s captain last year. Um, it's just worked through the gears, and we got to the final of the Modestine Cup last year, and we were down a couple of couple of open sides, and Tom's on the bench. So his first game for Canterbury was in the final. 
but he was ready. He was ready to be here on merit. So watching him go through training and being a real pain in the ass on the defensive team, you know, this guy's got something. He's, you could see what he had learned over the two years, three years previous had put him in the best position to be able to be selected. And how... I was going to say, how does that work on an I mean, individual basis over there? So something I hear uh, over here at times is about the not possibly not enough focus on individual development. You were speaking a bit earlier about Luke Whitelock and his development plan. And I mean, mm. what do those type of conversations or support look like with those young players coming through? Well, they, they take responsibility um, for their own. You've got, to have, you've got to have coaches that are committed to allowing freedom of expression and creating an environment that's, that's safe. Once an environment's safe, you can get the best out of people. Now, you'll always get a bit of spillage in I think human nature and... and you know, what do you mean by spillage? Well, you, never, you know, sometimes things don't necessarily work yeah. out. You know, you get the, the life experience uh, issues that, that we've all been through. Um, and it's a pretty, it can be a, a different place now than, than when it was when we were younger with the, the advent of social media and yeah. instant sort of world that we're living in. You know, we could probably put a few things to bed that never saw the light of day, Rusty. Um, but now you can't. Fletch. You mentioned you, not me. Yeah. So, it's like Brian Ashton last night. Brian spoke about. He said I did drills for 15 years, or well, 14. No video existed. No. no. So no one, you know, no one was speaking about. Oh, I remember Brian Ashton used to coach drills. Yeah. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, and the, the reality is that you know we we put them in a place where yes they can make mistakes, but as long as they're learning from them, then great. And, and yeah, you get to the point sometimes where yeah, it takes a different course, but. If a player has an environment where they can go to work and express and learn and feel and play, they're going to get better. If you're constraining that and it becomes too coaching to do this, do that, do this, do that, then I think they, they become that and that's all they'll ever be. So you've got to have the ability that if the players are willing to be responsible for their own aspects of the game, they're going to get better. And that, for me, then translates into a better team. So you're on your Etihad flight, business class. <laughs> I wish. You'd be first class if you were John Fletcher. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't first class to America and back. Going over to coach Mike at 10, you've coached over here, you've obviously got a, an accent that would work over there. How are you feeling? What's the stuff that you're nervous about? What are you excited about? And what, are you, and, and what did you learn? Well, first thing you, you want to say, geez, am I up to this? And you know, that's, that's what a hard, reflective place to be. I hadn't coached in New Zealand. This is the first time I was going to go and coach a team that I hadn't played for. So that's that's a different challenge. It's a pretty big club. We've won a lot of titles. There's a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> I'm nervous. You're working with um, some guys that have very high expectations in a, in a club that, that pretty much is a standard, is a standard bearer in world rugby for, for excellence. So therein lies the start of it. So you yeah. think, well, all that, you know, how, how can I do this? And I think... Um, being confident in, in your own ability is the first place to start. Well, I can do this, of course I can do this. And, and I want to go there and actually, I want to do it my way, to make a difference and leave an impact and leave something behind. And that's the, that's the opportunity and the challenge. And I think what they looked at was um, something a bit, wanted something a bit different and wanted something with a different set of experiences. And I'm from Christchurch and I, I played through the age grade system, but I left, I left New Zealand. I've actually spent more time out of New Zealand than in it. Um, and all my coaching experience was really in the UK and I'd come through the RFU system uh, over here and loved it and now, now I was going back so what I think they saw was well here's someone who's learned some different things and might see it from a different perspective and that, that could be healthy to grow, let's look at something from outside not be insular so I think they took a, um, a different route of thinking and, 
and uh, it came up with me, and, and I, I couldn't have been more grateful for the opportunity. And have they been curious about what you've learned over here? Yeah, very. Yeah, those conversations just haven't stopped. And um, you know, some of the aspects around forward play, line-up defence, you know, set-piece defence, you know, general defence and, and aggression, um, the physicality aspects um, are different, and, and they're, they're interested, and I think... The game's growing all the time, and maybe it might be a little bit like fashion. Everything goes around. The flares that you're wearing today are going to be back in. The, the, the corduroy trousers I'm wearing, the cardigan Fletcher's wearing. I'm actually wearing the cardigan. <laughs> if you just stay in those, they'll be back in fashion. <laughs> they will come back. But maybe rugby's a little bit like that. Things will go in cycles. There'll be periods where um, physicality wins, and then you get someone like a Shane Williams turns up, and the game changes. Yeah. And I think the McKenzie, you know, wow, you know, what a free to try marking him. That's tough. Um, you know, there's challenges everywhere, and that's the beauty of the game. There's no one right way to play it. There's no one wrong way to play it. We're trying to all meet an objective for success, but there's so many different variations in the way you see the game can can really can really shape the direction of it. So I think they were curious there about some of the things that I've seen and learnt, and we were able to put a couple of those in, which which did okay. And how are you coaching? Your team to play against people like Mackenzie, people like Bowden Barrow. You know, you you basically coaching defence against the best. My perception is the best attackers in the world. Yeah, that's um, that's a challenge. It's a great challenge. That's one you've got to meet head on because they're not going away. They're going to turn up and play against you. So you've got to be ready for it. So you constantly work through um, a process of, of skills skill sets that underpin your structures and making sure your mindset's right each week and that we're ready to deal with this because you know. Being on the defensive side of the ball is, is like the massacre, so you just set yourself up to fail ultimately because good attack should always be good defence. Um, but I'd see it that way, I want to knock everything over. I want to put your skills under maximum pressure, I want to try and take the time and space away, but I want to score tries out of defence. So I, I actually think I'm an attack coach, um, that's what I believe. My job is to get the ball back so we can attack. So I'll, I'll judge our guys on how many times have we turn the ball over and get our attack going and score. So if we score a try out of defence, that's gold. If we get charged down... It's five pressure, points. It's five imaginary points. Yeah, it's five imaginary points. And 100% oh, every day of the week. <laughs> so we, if we can score tries out of defence, how good's that? But the objective's got to be, I'm going to take your time and space available and put your skills under so much pressure that you will, you will falter. And your pass execution might be five degrees off, which means my next guy's coming and there's pressure on him. So it's got to be all-encompassing. So when you're dealing with um, Bowden Barrett or Damien McKenzie or Richard Moanga, these guys that are unbelievable attacking threats, you've got to take them head on. If you stand still, they will cause you all sorts of problems. Yeah. But if you go and meet the challenge, that's exciting. And you use the word system, uh, Fletcher's shivering. Um, however, I mean, <clears throat> I th- we spoke a bit earlier about what you mean, so actually, how are you coaching individuality within that? So give me some exa- real-life examples of actually, yeah, this might be our framework, but here's some, some stuff within that that plays to our strengths. Yeah, you've got to have... For defence, you need to have a systematic approach. And that approach what that is underpinned by your individual skill sets and decision-making around defence. So firstly, look at your tools. What do you need to be able to defend? Well, you've got to have an ability to manage space, um, make some decisions, uh, work with others to create more than one. So you don't want to be isolated as a defender. You want to be working with guys in and around you. So that's the first part. So being a good defender doesn't naturally mean that you're a good tackler. Being a good tackler doesn't naturally mean you're a good defender. So you have to have something, the framework that they work within. And then when you isolate that down, you'll have the skill sets that work uh, within your part of that structure, within your role. So we constantly look at what are the, the, the tackle times, what are the angles of approach, how do you stop 
offloading, how do you change uh, and congest around the ball when you need to, how do you leave width when you need to, and ultimately where do you want to defend, because you, you might be setting a team up that you actually want to defend somewhere else, so you're making yourself really strong somewhere, so they go to a point of perceived weakness that you're ready for. Trap, yeah. calling that a trap. Yeah, a little bit of full stop, a little bit of yeah. trap. So, um, you know, in that respect, it's, it's really challenging, but the key thing you've got to have is a really simple way to, to articulate that in a week, because if it's simple and it's easy to understand, and if I can understand it, because I'll be the lowest common denominator, because that's just me, I, I'm not the brightest out there, but if I understand it, chances are everyone else will. And if it's really simple and clear, then they can execute, because the one thing you need to be able to do when the game's quick and it's fast and it's agile is be confident and able to execute your skills. And would you use stories and as um, a couple of the guys, so Sean Marsden and Mark Harris just went and spent some time with the Crusaders and uh, we've just seen you break dancing, so your break dancing's pretty good. Oh, uh, I mean, would you, they would use uh, stories a lot. I think it was a story last season about heavyweight champion of the world, and everything was themed around that. Yeah. I mean, is that something oh, that's theming, theming common? Razor uh, Razor's probably the, one of the best guys at theming in the world, and you'll have an underpinning theme. I had one with Canterbury last year that worked out really well, um, basketball orientated. So if they went and saw the there's a basketball hoop in the gym there, that's a bit of a legacy item. Yeah. Two things I left at Booing were a basketball hoop and a big television in the coaches. Um, but if you have those stories that you can attach things to as you're going through a campaign they can be quite powerful Um, you've got to be really careful with it because often theming hasn't necessarily worked in the UK because of the the length of the season but when you're in a shorter campaign you're going to ride the humps and the hollows and some of those stories have got humps and hollows in them and sometimes things go really well and sometimes things don't and when you have a moment you go well hey this has happened to us this week, but actually this happened to them as well. And this is what happened after the, they went on that journey. So it's about framing and it, it's the narrative's pretty important. Um, I've used chocolate cake as a theme one week, and it worked out quite well. First Explain. Game we just had to go and get the chocolate. There's, there's chocolate cake in the fridge, and we, we, we had to go and get the chocolate cake. And so we ended up going to Tasman. This is the this first game Modesty Cup, and um, used that and... and Told a story about how we're going to approach. We won't go into the details of the story, but the ultimate objective was to go and get the chocolate cake. So we end up doing that, and then the first week about, I bought chocolate cake. There you go, boys. You've got your chocolate. Cake. So little things like that that you know you have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, they're doing it in Bristol at the moment, so they haven't. I don't know if they conceded driving line out against Worcester. They haven't conceded driving line out in the first six weeks. They've defended Secret something zone. like thirty yards. No, it's, it was. Jonathan Tom, JT did it on a podcast the other day, yeah. and, the, and the and the prize for the forwards was that Iro and JT were going to take them for pizza. So if they defended for the first six games, every single driving line out, and they had a big, uh, they had a theme at uh, Canterbury around that. I think there's something like thirty odd games without yeah, conceding a driving line out, yeah. and just through the, and clearly through some through some skill work, but also through theming, telling a story, connecting people. You know, giving them meaning. Yeah, you want to have a, a higher purpose to attach something to, and, and those sort of um, those stories grow and they become part of legend. Yeah, and the, the legend, chocolate cake legend. The, 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 the legend book. <laughs> um, okay, can I ask a question? So you spent um, considerable amount of time recently around the defence. What stuff have you noticed about attack? Uh, I think attack's changing and, and partly driven by the skill set of the forwards. I think that's generally improving, and the more skillful the forwards become, the harder it is to attack because the ball will always beat the man. Um, but alignment's a big, a big challenge, and you know, consistent spacing is, is not really that relevant because anything that you do defensively that's consistent can be set up to be attacked. Yeah. So you, yeah. you do have to change pictures. So alignment's one big shift that I've noticed in the last couple of years is, you know, there's different spacing required. It's not equidistant, and getting guys being used 
to being tighter or wider based on what what's coming is is something that you've got to track in your train. So that's that's one area that um, got a family really interested. Who, who's the best attacking team you've coached against, and why? Uh, Shivers, the best. Well, we got our ass handed to us by the Chiefs, um, but that was a mindset issue. We didn't go very well that day. We featured didn't play well. Um, so was that just mindset, or was it yeah, other stuff? It was mindset, but then that filtered into our trusted structure and, and a lot of things. So we were able to identify that we were a bit off. Um, you know, look, we've had some. some you know, Crusaders were pretty good, pretty good attacking team. Pretty consistent with what they do. Why? Um, well, what sort of stuff are they doing? That's hard to defend against. Their detail is pretty much they, they run the same stuff all the time. So their ability to set up the opportunity for decisions is based on their consistency of executing um, their skills. So their passing, their running lines are really consistent. So what that means is that if your defensive alignment or um, line speed is, is changing and they're consistent, then their decision makers are good enough to recognise that and exposure. And they can. Uh, you know, they've, they've got the ability. You know, Richie Wine was, was pretty good that night. We played up there and, and broke us twice on phase attack, and, and they scored two tries, which you know was a bit of a difference. Um, you know, that they they were a challenge. There's other big challenges that you have, and you know, it's some really positive challenges like going to Pretoria and playing the Bulls. And we had 30% possession, 30% territory, and we won the game. Go figure. And right. They're the biggest humans, obviously. Why do you think you <laughs> won the game? Uh, heart, heart, determination. First week at altitude, we're in, we're in Joburg and we're tracking it. We're, we're at altitude first. It's, it's frightening how what it does to the players because I was like, she's a bit tough. <laughs> well, I'm struggling a bit, and I'm like, what are they thinking? But you know, the mindset that unbelievable. You know, we we had Lena Sopawanga was immense that day defensively. He kicked the goal to win the game from 45 meters. That was just the cherry for me. He'd actually made two massive defensive plays on our goal line. So you have those moments which are just. You know, how, how good's this? And then, you know, we played against the Hurricanes, all singing, all dancing, and, and managed to shut them down and put in probably one of our best performances of the year. Um, the defence led led the day and translated into attack. So, for me, it's not not one thing above the other. Everything's really interrelated. So, if we can put on a good framework for defence that allows us to attack, that's that's probably a, the, the greatest gift we can give the team. Where do you think defence will be three years time? What's your vision in terms of or what stuff are you looking to? To progress, and well, the, the key thing that happens is that lawmakers influence how we how we go about. So this year we had the change in the, the injury from from yeah. the ruck. So what will happen is that the coaches will play for that, play with that, and come up with different ways to deal with it. So we're constantly evolving. So the game is set up to be an attacking game. I totally get that, but I'm not interested in that. I want to, I want to stop all attack. Nil all would be the best result for me. Um, in story, but the, the reality is that's not going to be reality. So we've constantly got to grow ways of, of trying to turn the, the time that you don't have the ball into an opportunity to score points. So I think defence will continue to evolve. The breakdown will settle down, and, and we've seen maybe that's some, one of the reasons why there's been a lot of tries in the Premiership the first six rounds because teams haven't been able to attack it. But we'll find ways of doing it, and I know that next year in Super we're a year on from that law change, so there'll be some different innovations around the breakdown which might bring defence back into an ascendancy. Um, so, you know, attack will always try and stress us, we'll try and stop the attack, and that sort of yin-yang thing will, will keep going. That's exciting. Mm. Oh, I think so. And some interception defence with Absolutely. a bit of help from Nepal. Yeah, Nepal, yeah, yeah no, um, that'd be great. Uh, Nepal, very good on the intercept defence. Um, Do you want to tell a story? It was a, it was oh, a, yeah. Was, uh, it was a good story. Yeah, yeah. Well, my sister coaches a Nepal team in, uh, in New Zealand, and they've had a pretty good season. 
Um, my player development manager at Canterbury um, is a girl named Marie Bowden, who played for New Zealand Netball. Um, and, and she was constantly talking to me about, you've got to put an intercept defence thing in place, cause, but netball, because they, they go for, they yeah, go the, for the ball. You know, yeah. and, and you've got a couple of intercepts, and she's like, texting me, going, yeah, the intercept defence works. And I'm going, no, it doesn't. <laughs> we can't set up. The defence is not about going for intercepts. But sometimes it is. Sometimes it is in the wider channel. So you can actually set up your wider guys to, to look for those balls because they get a better opportunity to see the play evolve. And actually, once that ball's in the air, they can go and get it. So she has got, there's a bit of method to the madness, but it wasn't a carte blanche. We're just going to have an intercept <laughs> That would perhaps be suicide. It'd be good when uh, the young players who've been practicing intercepts come through. Yeah, no, they'll be great. They'll be, they'll be gold. There'll be no attack ever. Every pass will be picked <laughs> off. Guys running 80 metres. Um, mate, I'm going to play a little game. Well, it's not a game. I'm going to say a word. You, you're only allowed to say one word. It, it could be linked to another word oh, nice. in terms of an underline. Nice. First thing that comes to your head, um, there's, a, there's a time delay of two seconds. So right, goodness. This is, now this is All Blacks. Uh, champions. Skill. Necessary. Lord Numbers. Beautiful. <laughs> Nottingham. Nottingham. Lord uh, Numbers. <laughs> the foundation. Attack. Defence. World Cup. Winning. Soccer. Interesting. Family. Critical. Learning. Critical. Analysis. Necessary. London Irish. Uh, passionate. Cool. Very good. I enjoyed them. That tells a lot about you. Right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your time. Uh, you two guys are that was a great, great way to finish your flight. Well done. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Thanks. No. I was in writing it as you were asking all the questions. <laughs> I think you should take a photo of that pad and stick it out. Yeah, it's a cool that's, pad, isn't it? It's got, got some, everything. It's got some useful and not helpful information on it. Don't lose that. It reminds me of a piece of paper that Phil Keith Roach gave me, which um, we did a, a scrum session in a coffee shop in Maidervale, and it's literally a napkin. Black pen, this, that, and the other, and I've got it. I'm going to get it framed. It's, it's in my coaching yeah. bag. It's just one of the little things I like to carry around. With. That's like a Peter Walton uh, line out session with the, the salt, pepper, and the oh, cup, you've got isn't it? That. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mate, There's mate. the uh, lift the uh, sugar, lift the sugar. A number of defensive sessions I've done with that. Shall we talk about this along stuff? So if you've got that's the spread of tackle, that should have it on. So, <laughs> so we're, we're now moving the condiments around the table. So you want to be outside line here, so you're defending that way. Outside line here and here. If you look at this guy here, if he's equidistantly spaced, then that's going to be a problem because he's actually defending this guy. Yeah. So he actually has to, if, if he comes from there, he'll angle in. So that space gets bigger. But if his alignment's here, he can come straight and then you put him in. So that spacing there is one change. Yeah. And that's hard to automate. I'm not sure enough attackers realise that this space here is going to open up. Yeah, oh, 100%. So the best attackers are going, this will lead to this. Well, so if I put. Mackenzie Barrett, Mwanga there, um, Lima Sokwanga, those guys, they're looking at what's, what's happening here. What's the they're playing in the future. 100%. They're, they're living, they're, they're <coughs> Why do you think that is? Uh, it's just their, their ability to read and see the game. And you talk about unconscious competence. That's where <coughs> those players with time and space live. They, they understand, they've gone through this so many times that actually they know this guy will make a decision and do something. And if he's here, I'm just going to move the ball. But if he's here, that might just open up a chance. They'll go there, he'll come here, and it's this line. What's Dmax? Uh, what's Dmax history like? Do you know much about it? Uh, no, I'm not a. No, I, I watched him play when he came over in the World Cup. He was just sensational. However, there's lots of. I can remember being in the stand. He was in Manchester. There's lots of people say the classic. He's, he's too small. Too small. Yeah, we'll try and catch him. <laughs> yeah. hey, I remember playing against Jason Robinson as you would as well, and I got two hands on him once. I tackled him once. Well, I, I couldn't believe it. I got two hands, and he didn't stop. 
Two hand attached. And normally in normal rules, you've got to stop. We got him selected for the Lions in 2001. We went, up, we went up there and uh, he made us look like a pack of mumpers. <laughs> he was scoring tries for fun. And I, I kid you not, it was like, I touched it, I did touch him, and that was it. He'd gone. He'd oh, gone. He right. Beautiful. Legends. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Pleasure. Enjoyed that. That was class.